Thank you, Sarah. Set two, realizations. Um, one, the Hassans are not here, and her due date is tomorrow? Today. Are they in labor right now? We haven't heard. So if you haven't heard, they're probably in labor. So throw up a prayer for them that God would deliver this child, uh, and, and both mother and child will be healthy. So that's exciting for the Hassans. Um, furthermore, yesterday, a lot of you guys don't know this, but Jacob and Bailey got married. So, yeah, so they're not here. I don't know why they're not here. Um, so also, I do want to shout out, I know I feel super like a um, live streamy, mega churchy church, but like to all our viewers at home, I do want to say for the members of our team because you're sick, I just, I thank you and we, we love you. We, we wish you were here. Um, and I, I think that's just a loving thing for you to do because I know that a lot of you uh, would prefer to be here together, uh, but just trying to care for one another and mitigate any unnecessary spread. I think it's a loving thing. So for those who are at home, we love you. Uh, it feels weird, like I'm looking at my laptop. Uh, it just feels, anyway. Uh, well, there was a devastating book written a number of years ago by one of my favorite authors named Jerry Bridges. And he wrote the book called Respectable Sins. Respectable Sins. And if you can think about that word, you can kind of guess what that book is about. Respectable sins are basically sins that are often overlooked within the church. They're sins that they don't make the, the great naughty list uh, and, and pastors rarely get fired from these sins. They're the, they're the ones that are pretty socially acceptable because everybody kind of does it. And you know what? Our culture is saturated in them. You know, there were common ones like pride or gluttony or anger. Ones that can be, you know, kind of low-key or ones that are very hard to even see. While Jerry was writing this book, people would be often, you know, he, he's a prolific writer, so he wrote a lot of books. And people would be like, hey, what are you writing? He said, oh, I'm writing about respectable sins. And one of the things that they would often do, he said almost every time he would bring up that title, people would say, oh, you mean like gossip? It was amazing because without him prodding, that was the number one respectable sin that people repeatedly assumed he would write about. It's like chapter 19. There's a lot of them. So if you want to feel bad, just read the book. But it's full of gospel. So um, anything that you get beat down, he will build you up in Jesus. But gossip is a reality in our culture. There was this one survey that found out that 55% of men's conversations and 67% of women's conversations involve gossip. That's, that's a, a lot. That means the majority of conversations whether you're male or female, have gossip in it. That's frightening. And the sad reality is that gossip is so part of our culture. In fact, there are people who literally make their living off of being good at gossip, whether it's social media or they have a talk show, and they're literally good at sharing gossip. And people tune in by the millions, and many of us drink it in. We love it. And the sad reality is often what is accepted, embraced in the world the church adopts, but just puts a Christian spin on it, if you know what I'm saying. If you've ever been part of the dreaded, hey, brother, I just wanted to let you know about Johnny. He's, uh, he's, he's cheating on his wife again. Uh, he never comes to church and all this stuff. Um, and I'm just telling you this so you can pray. You know what I'm saying? 
the, the secret dreaded uh, prayer request gossip mix. And, and this is a sad reality because gossip tears apart relationships and it splits churches. And we're not going to only talk about gossip. We're going to primarily be focused on the power of our words, but we're going to spend a great deal talking about gossip because it's one manifestation that hurts churches so much. And we're talking right now in a series on um, essentials of life together, healthy community. And so we're going to actually address something that destroys communities. If you were to ask me before this sermon, Sam, are you a gossip? I would say, with unqualified, without hesitating, I would say, absolutely not. Are you? I, I just wouldn't even consider it. Now, as I've gone through these texts and prayed and meditate more and more, I'm realizing that I, I'm not one who has gossiped so much that you can characterize me as a gossip, be like, oh, Sam the gossip, right? But there's enough of it in my life that's deeply embarrassing. And so I'm uniquely qualified to preach this to you because I have been gossiped about a lot. Preacher pastors get gossiped about a lot. But sadly, I've gossiped even more. I, I have had to repent a lot this week. I had sat down with Joanna, and I was like, hey, honey, actually, I think, let me do this one thing. I think that's gossip. And it's been sad and embarrassing. And so I'm hoping that, that this sermon would shed light on a respectable sin that is actually really hurting us more than we realize. Mm -hmm. And anybody here would probably say, everybody here, that you have been betrayed by the pain of gossip before. You've heard someone that you trust and love said what about you? And if you're honest you've probably felt the shame of being caught mm -hmm. as a gossiper. Somebody you love hears that you said something about them behind their back. So I think most of us know this pain, so I'm excited to get into this text. One final note. Gossip and the related sins like slander are kind of complicated. A lot of us are probably feeling the weight of like, what, when is it gossip, when is not? I'm going to do my best to try to get the main common questions, but there's a lot more. So if you have more questions, feel free to ask me. And I also really leaned into this book. I, I read this whole book this last week, and um, I incorporated a few points. It's called Resisting Gossip by Matthew Mitchell. Really helpful, forward by Edward Welch, if you're familiar with that name, uh, biblical counselor. And I just highly recommend you to uh, grab a book if you feel like this is especially something that you want to dig deeper into. It's very readable, and uh, I found it very helpful. So I'm going to wait, lean into this some, um, but the rest is fresh from the Word. All right, so let's get into James chapter 3. Sarah read it. Let's read it one more time. We're going to talk about the weight of our words before we get into anything else. James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, 
we could spend our whole evening just on this passage. But we're going to just get the main idea here. What is James' main point? Our tongue, though just one little part of our body, right? My, my arm is much bigger than my tongue. My leg is much bigger than my tongue. And yet, this one little piece of our body has incredible power. Has incredible power to dictate the very course of our life. It can make or break us, and it can make or break communities. So James' point is, though small, it actually does great harm. Or, he doesn't say explicitly here, but other parts of the scripture would say, has great power for good. Just as much destructive power the tongue has, on the flip side, it has much power for good. Furthermore, notice verse 2. It says this, if you can control your tongue, you, have, you are perfect. Now, nobody is perfect, but Jesus alone. So this passage is a really beautiful passage that shows us that, hey, no one can tame the tongue except God alone. And no one has ever spoken perfectly and nor was perfect except Jesus alone. You can kind of read into that. But what we can see here is that the reason why verse 2 says you'll become perfect if you can control your tongue is because what comes out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart. So if you perfectly spoke all the time, that would reflect a perfect heart. The tongue is connected to the very core and center of who you are. It reflects your heart. It is never separate. It's not like you have your tongue doing things here, and yet your heart is doing something here. They're deeply connected. Let's look at another passage, Luke 6.45. It's on the screen if you want to just look at it. I'm using the NLT here because I think it brings out, especially the last phrase. Look at this. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Should be on the screen in a second. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of a evil heart. Listen to this carefully. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Maybe the screens are done and they're not coming up. Jesus is showing us that whatever is on the inside ultimately produces on the outside. Imagine a sponge, like one of those big sponges that you would you would like wash a car with. Whatever you fill that sponge with will come out if enough pressure is applied. So if you have a sponge full of soapy water and you squeeze it, why did soapy water come out? Because soapy water is in the sponge. Now, if you took that same sponge and, and soaked up a bunch of mud, and you squeezed that sponge, mud would come out. Why? Because mud was in the sponge, right? And we've talked about this with a bowl of water. We can use many different illustrations to say the same thing. What is on the inside ultimately comes on the outside. All you need is enough pressure, enough squeezing, enough stress, and what's on the inside comes out. So we can never be like, oh, those were just my words. Joanna, I didn't mean to say those things. That those are just separate. No, 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 no. Those things, those situations just revealed my heart. So the other day when I got mad at my son and I yelled at him in anger because something he did was slightly annoying, it wasn't like, oh, son, sorry, that wasn't me. No, no, it was me. There was something inside of my heart. There was mud. There was junk in my heart. And the right situation just pressed it and it came out. And this is super important for us to to do, to, to nail in, because in our culture, we can excuse our words away. Oh, I, I didn't mean it, it was just late, or you misunderstood me, and, and those things may be true, and those are factors, but ultimately what's on the inside comes on the outside. So why 
Did I yell at my son? Because there was junk in my heart. And why does God hold us accountable so much to our words is because they reflect what's in our hearts. And God cares deeply about hearts. One more passage to just feel the gravity of our words. Matthew 12, 36. Hey, we're back. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every, some, every careless word they speak. Oh, God, have mercy on me. If you guys know how much I speak. Proverbs 7, 19 is one of the first passages, passages I've memorized as a 15-year-old. The multitude of words, sin is not lacking. When there's a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. This is dangerously scary. How many careless words do we text or tweet or say? Whether you're sad or you're happy, we will be held accountable for every word. Why? Again, because God takes our hearts seriously. Words reflect our hearts. Let me take you to one final passage, Romans chapter 1. Many of you are familiar with this, but if you think about the very end of the chapter, Paul is speaking about a, a group of people who've rejected who God is. They've had access to know who God is, and yet they don't want to know him, so God gives them over to their sin. God gives them over to their debased ways, and then it spirals into greater, greater darkness. Now, notice as we look at Romans chapter 1 that... How many of these characteristics are connected to speaking, to words? See if you can jot them down. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are Gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. How many words here in Romans 1 are connected directly to speech? I counted four explicit ones, and then there's more. Deceit, gossip, slander, boastful. And many other sins would be manifested on the outside with our words as well. The reason I show you this is Romans 1 is one of the most condemning passages of the worst of humanity. And on that list, he includes gossips. He includes slanderers. He includes the deceitful. Gossips aren't like, oh, you know, he just struggles with gossip, or she struggles with gossip, no big deal. No, 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 gossip is on the very list that also includes things like murder. And so what does this passage do? This passage offends me because when I think about slander or gossip, I want to downplay it like, you know, that's not good, you know, no one should do that, but it's not that big of a deal. And when our sentiments of our heart often based on our culture's influence, don't match with Scripture, we need, someone needs a win. And Scripture needs a win. Because right now in my heart, I'm like, gossip really isn't that bad. Can I be honest? I've thought about gossip more than any of you guys this week because of this text, because of, of, of this sermon. And even with the whole week of meditation, the previous week, and even why didn't you preach on this because I, so I thought about it in the past, I still don't feel like gossip is that big of a deal. And so when you have that situation, you say, God, there's something wrong with my heart. 
because there's something that you say is horrible, and I think it's just not good. Align my heart with your ways. Align my heart with what your word says. And this is a constant reality in so many different things in the scriptures that we have to deal with. And this is why so many people eventually um, will, can leave the faith, because they're confronted with some reality that their heart doesn't seem that big of a deal with God's word, and their heart wins. We must, church, we must be committed to letting the scriptures win when our hearts want to win, when our hearts want to downplay. Now, look at the result of this kind of living, Romans 1.32, one more verse over. Though these people know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. What's the result? What are these people who do this characteristically deserving? What's that word, D? Starts with a D? Death. Not a slap on the wrist, death. If your life is characterized by deceit, gossip, slander, boastfulness, and all the other things on the list, you, will, you are deserving of death. And ultimately, it will lead to physical and spiritual death. So in other words, our words ultimately reflect our hearts, and if our hearts are characterized by these realities, then we're ultimately going to have spiritual and physical death forever. So I hope this groundwork was helpful. Because when we talk about gossip, when we talk about slander or deceit or anything like that, we can easily put it in a separate category. I'll deal with those maybe when I'm mature, more mature. Let me deal with this other stuff, like porn or whatever it is. The ones that are explicitly no-nos in our culture. Only well, porn isn't even explicitly no-no anymore in our culture. And so, church, would you join me in taking our words seriously? Because God takes them seriously. I need help in this. I speak for a living. I need help in this. My words will be held accountable by the Lord. So before we talk about gossip or anything like that, let's lay three foundations that we just talked about. Our words can be incredibly destructive, number one. Number two, our words reflect our hearts. Number three, God will hold us accountable for our words. Three foundational pillars for us to stand on. Now that we've seen the severity of words, let's talk especially about gossip and slander. First, we got to know what it is. Let me put a quote on the screen from Matthew Mitchell's book, Resisting Gossip, again. I just found it helped ga gather, like, get the kind of struggle I feel with gossip. It's not always easy to recognize the moment when our small talk becomes sinful talk. In fact, if you're like me, then you regularly ask yourself during conversations, should I be saying this? Or should I be listening to this? You may even find yourself questioning what makes gossip wrong. Is it when it's said? Who says it? To whom it's told? We often give ourselves small passes. Gossip is okay if we're just chatting with our wife or sister, right? Or if we just are venting to our mom or pastor, right? What is gossip anyway? Is it always a lie? Is it always an substantiated rumor? Is gossip always malicious? The line becomes increasingly fuzzy as confusion sets in about the definition of gossip. Deciding what or isn't gossip is certainly a challenge. So Matthew Mitchell, comb through the Bible, 
read a ton of books on gossip and came up with this definition that I find really helpful. Okay, so if you need a definition to put in your pocket and be like, all right, what is gossip? This is how he takes it. Sinful gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back with a bad heart. Three parts to it. Bad news behind someone's back with a bad heart. Bad news behind someone's back, bad heart. We're going to break these three down very quickly, and then we'll go into other details. First of all, bad news. First of all, gossip involves sharing something bad about somebody. In other words, a way to test this is as you share these words, does that person who's hearing your words walk away with a lesser view of the person you're talking about? Just simplifies it. Is the person walking away thinking more highly of that person, more godly thoughts of that person, or more negatively about that person? And sometimes this bad news is 100% true. And that's a danger. We think that if it's true, then it's free game. Everybody knows this, right? It's free. Free game. It's true. No, that is not the case. It can be true and yet sinful. And we'll talk more about the other pieces that would make it sinful. Also, it can be totally false. Or it can be partially true. Often bad news is something that is often exaggerated. Now, let's talk about behind someone's back. I just said I'm going to do this quickly. I am doing quickly. Behind someone's back. Sharing behind someone's back means that you're sharing it without their knowledge or consent. Furthermore, a great check for your heart are these three questions. Would I say this in this way if the person was here? Would I want someone else to talk this way about me if I were out of the room? And finally, does this person need to know this information? These are three really helpful checks as we ask ourselves and as we listen to someone when we consider talking behind someone's back. Would I say this in the same way if they're just sitting right here? Or would I want someone else to speak to me in the same way? What is this person I've been speaking to? Do they even need to know this information? Here's another definition of gossip that one of you messaged me. Thank you. Gossip is talking with someone who isn't part of the problem or part of the solution. I find that really helpful. You're talking to someone, and they're not part of the problem, and they're not part of the solution. Now, the tricky thing, obviously, in the church is that you can make some theological argument that everybody's problem is, in one sense, your problem. And that's where things can get really tricky and sometimes appropriate for you to be involved, even if you weren't directly involved. But this is really helpful. Gossip is talking about someone with someone who isn't part of the problem nor part of the solution. Now, the final piece is the most essential, for it's sometimes necessary to share bad news behind someone's back. But I believe that's way more rare than we realize. Have you guys ever found yourself speaking about somebody and in the middle of it, you either think or you say, I'm not sure if I should share this. Anybody have said that before in the last year? I've done that. And you know what's sad is that a lot of times when people say that, they're like, I don't know if I should say this. Okay, I'm going to share it. It's almost as if the default should be sharing. <laughs> the default, if you're not sure, is to share. And I would commend you, church, to adopt the default is to not share unless you for sure know you ought to share. Don't assume you should share bad news behind someone's back unless you know and you've done the hard work to think if the person ought to hear 
needs to hear. Now, out of a bad heart, it's tricky, because whatever comes out of the heart is a little harder to pin down. But actions reflect our hearts, just like words reflect our hearts. So three questions you can ask is this, why am I saying this? So this is a question you ask yourself, why am I saying this? Or number two, if you're hearing it, why am I listening to this? And the scariest one is, why am I attracted to this bad news? This is a tricky one for us. See, a common scene at our home is that one of our kids will tattle on the other. Mom, mom, or dad, dad, so-and-so did this. And what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to say, did you talk to them first? And something that I heard from one pastor that I really appreciate, they would say this, are you trying to get your brother or sister in trouble or out of trouble? Mm. Are you trying to, are you telling me this news of what your brother or sister horribly did to you because you want them in trouble or are you trying to help them get out of trouble? So church, this is a great check for our hearts. As we want to share something about somebody, we feel the temptation, the question that should blink really loud in our hearts, Sam, are you sharing this because you want this person to be helped or because you want them in trouble? Do you want to pile on the sin, or do you want to help them be delivered of sin? Mm. This takes hard work. And this takes something that we don't like in our culture to do. You know what that word is? Pause. Mm. We don't want to. We want to just go with our instincts. Well, I feel like sharing, so that's probably right. No, your instincts can be wrong. It takes years of being carefully shaped and molded by God's word for your instincts to be biblical. Come on. As, as the right in initial response. And if you're newer to the faith, your instincts are going to be all whack. And if, even if you're older in the faith, I'm not that old, I'm like 17 years old in the faith, your instinct can still regress, just like we learned in 2 Peter. We forget, and we get short-sighted, and we become blind. We forget that we've been delivered, and we can go like the old man again. So, church, pause. Pause when you hear it and when you want to speak it. Teach passage to check our hearts. This was one that I think Pete Scharsky sent me. He was like, this is really helpful. So Pete, thank you. Ephesians 4.29. It's one of the first passages I memorized. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only what is good, what is building up for the occasion, that you would give grace to those who hear. Now, that, again, another sermon right here just for this, this passage. But quick three questions. Is this talk corrupting the other person? Or is it building them up? Is it giving grace to the hearer? Are you giving grace to those who you're sharing about? Not only the person you're sharing about, but the person you're sharing to? Are you giving grace to them? To the beauty of this passage is the reoccurring theme throughout the Bible that God doesn't call us to merely take off just to take off. Hey, stop gossiping, y'all. But, but rather, build up with your words. Don't tear down, build up. And I love that about the Bible. I love that, that so often the theme is never just stop it. It's always do this instead. So rather than gossip, give grace to those who hear. Build others up. So if you're going to check yourself, be like, I need to stop gossiping. Say, am I feeling guilty or I'm feeling conviction that I'm a gossiper? The answer is not merely you need to stop gossiping. 
The answer is, what are you going to do instead of gossiping? Let's talk about slander real quick. I found this definition really helpful to talk about slander. It, it is a twin evil sister, older sister. <clears throat> slander is a direct partner of gossip. Slander includes malicious and hurtful talk about other, another person. It is the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame or damage another's reputation. Give me a fine line between gossip and slander. And a lot of it comes down to what your heart intention is. Are you trying to harm the person? Trying to take them down intentionally? Maybe in a very Christianese way you're sneaking it and masquerading of care. But maybe you're sneakily wanting people to have a negative opinion about someone. A common way we can slander someone is we'll share a narrative about somebody and conveniently leave out every piece of evidence that you willfully know that could contradict your narrative you're trying to present. So if you're, you're trying to say, hey, did you guys hear about this one gal? She's so arrogant. And in your head, you can think of three different times in the last where that, where that sister was extremely humble and servant-like. But you don't want to share those cases because if you share those cases, then it won't sound, she won't sound as arrogant. And the challenge is, is we're a mixed bag, aren't we? As, a, as Christians, we're mixed. We have, we're sinner saints. And so we're going to have a, a mixed bag when it comes to our character. And the danger when it comes to slander is that we want to overly characterize someone in one way. And in doing so, we sweep under the rug everything that will challenge our characterization. And that's a very dangerous thing that we can all be tempted to do. Especially when we're trying to pull people in to side with us. Did you know how bad this guy is? Did you know Pastor Sam did this or said this? Convenient living out, leaving out a million times that was awesome. <laughs> but you guys know what I'm saying? Because all of us have probably done this and all of us have been victims of this. Where you feel so hurt because someone totally mischaracterized you, totally oversimplified your heart and your actions, just one or two situations, and conveniently leave everything out. And oftentimes, another flag of slander is when we use words like, she always blinks, or he never blinks. And it's rare for someone to be always and never. But when we want to win someone over to our side, we're going to use absolute language like always and never. Flag that. Now here's a question. Why do we gossip and slander? Well, earlier we established that whatever's on the inside eventually shows up on the outside. Let's look back at James chapter 4. If you're there, you can look at it, but it's on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. One of the core roots of gossip, slander, and conflict in general is the passions that are at war within us. The passions that stir up competition between us and others. So as a result, we go to war, not with our fists usually, but with our words. Because the passions are waging in our hearts, it comes out with a war of words. Sadly, one of the appeals to gossip is that there's a sick delight when we hear. One of the most famous passages of gossip is Proverbs 18.8, if you're taking notes. Proverbs 18.8. This is one of the most foundational ones. You see it more clearly, I think, in the NIV, because the ESV says words of a whisper, but it's the same concept. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels, or you can say the word tasty treats. 
they go down to the innermost parts. You guys know what this is like, don't you? You hear something juicy, a juicy tidbit about somebody, and it just feels so good. Oh, yeah. Especially if you don't like that person. I knew it. I knew it. More evidence for why, to justify why I dislike that person. Mmm, feels good. Tastes good. A choice morsel is like something that's on the table or the counter that everybody grabs and wants to just take down into their stomachs fast as possible. Or maybe it's someone you actually like and admire, but you compare yourself to them. And so you hear this news, and it feels so good. Because in taking them down, you feel like you're being bribed. Your heart is being lifted up at the expense of someone being brought down. You know what? You know whose failures you can't focus on when you're focusing on others? Your own. We know this passage well. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and fail to notice the log that is in your own eye? See, as long as we can be fixated in other people's specks, we can give a pass on our logs. Hey, let me help you with the speck. Or did you hear about so-and-so, Mary, Mary, whatever. I'm trying to use some generic name. I didn't realize that's just said Mary, Mary. We have a Mary in the church. Okay. Have you heard about her speck? And if I can get everyone to think about that person's speck, I can hopefully get them to, to not notice the, the log. Or if you struggle with self-loathing, you feel the log, you feel the pain of your own sin and your shame, and a way to self-protect is that you deflect upon other people. Mm. So as long as you get other people to look at that person, you can get your eyes off of your own heart because your own conscience condemns you. This is a dangerous reality, church, of why we gossip. is because we can deflect from our own shame and our own pain and the only things that the Spirit is trying to convict us with, we're trying to ignore. Because we're righteously trying to fight for other people's sin. We can Christianize and spin it and say, hey, I'm doing this for the Lord. I can't think about this stuff. Yeah, that's important, but well, let's focus on those people's sin because I care about the Lord and His name. I think I've seen this a little bit in our political sphere. Now, what do we do with all this? The reality, this is quite condemning, and all of us struggle here. All of us have blown it in different ways. So number one, what do you do with our own gossiping hearts? Two, what do you do when someone is gossiping to you? And three, what do you do when someone is gossiping about you? Okay, we're going to tackle those three. First, Let's talk about the cure to our own hearts. First, we've got to understand the grace that God has given us. Then we need to understand how God feels about this. feels so much like a lecture, all these PowerPoints. I'm sorry, guys. Understand how God feels about the person. And third, we need to bless instead of gossip. Hopefully this is helpful. When we do topical sermons like this, it's going to be a little more like this. I like just preaching for one passage. This feels weird to me. Now, first, we got to understand the mercy he's received. I, I thought about Psalm 103. 133. Such a sweet passage. Would you say this out loud with me, church? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Isn't it sweet? If God were to hold every sin against us, who one of us could stand? We would all crumble under his rightful gaze, his righteous gaze, his righteous frown. 
And yet, because of God's grace, instead of a frown, we have a smile. Mm -hmm. We have love. We have forgiveness. When we truly grasp the weight of our sin and the holiness of God, we are surprised that God shows us mercy and grace. And therefore, it's hard to be fixated on other people's sins. We become more concerned with our sin than the sins of other people. We become more horrified with the sin still in us than the sin in other people. And how, is, how much is this totally non-existent in our political sphere right now? We villainize other people. We give ourselves a pass. But those who truly understand the mercy and grace God has given us, we are just so horrified by the brokenness in us that we're not judging other people. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be discerning. That means that you can't see fruit. But there's a different posture. The heart posture that has been broken by your own sin has a different aroma when you talk about other people's sins. See, the danger about fighting against gossip is that you can get to the place where you overcorrect, where no one ever talks about sin, and no one ever talks about anything mm -hmm. wrong. And that's a danger, too, that we want to avoid. So the key is not no one talking about other people's sins. It's about how we talk about other people's sins. What kind of posture is your heart in? That's good. This heart posture is not a place where you arrive. Oh, yeah, Sam, I remember that. I remember back in 95, I, I got that heart. You know, you get that heart every day. Every day you go before the gospel. You go before the throne of grace. Every day you're reminded of his mercy. Every day you come back and you're continually repenting over your sin. And as you receive grace and mercy, that now flows through you. And it affects your words. That's right. Church, none of us have arrived there. But you have to go to it daily, just like we die daily. The second cure to, God, cure to the gospel, gossiping heart is this. Understand how God feels about that person. Would you speak differently about me if my wife was in the room? I hope you would. Would you speak differently about my son or my daughters if I was in the room? See, we adjust our words based off of our audience. In a similar way, do we have any fear about how we speak about God's church? About how we speak about our brothers and sisters who are in Christ? And do you have any idea of the ferocious love God has for these people? How much he loves them, despite him knowing everything. Mm. See, we can judge and look down on other people, we only have a glimpse. Mm. God knows every detail. Mm. He knows every thoughts. He knows all the brokenness, and yet he loves them still. Amen. And if he can love them, cannot we? So you've got to have a view, a God-centered view of other people, if you want to fight gossip in your heart. Once we see how much he loves them, then it affects the way we speak about them. And third, don't just not gossip, bless instead. Mm -hmm. Just as God loved us while we were still sinners, be blessed instead of gossip about them. Even if the person blew it hard, you don't spread their sin, you cover their sin. You pray for them. When I say cover their sin, I don't mean that we sweep sin under the rug. Because there is a time and place to challenge sin. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. So we're not going to camp on that right now. But you bless them. Just like God blessed you, even though you were still a sinner. Now, how do we respond if someone is gossiping or slandering around us? Not, not about us, but around us. Hey, Sam, did you hear blah, 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 blah? Okay, we're going to fly through this real quick, but look at Proverbs 17.4. It 
An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Some of you, I can imagine, do not struggle with gossiping, but you struggle what to do when you hear gossip. And some of you may need to repent and go talk to some people because you have been participants of wicked lips. You've passively been afraid that someone will be hurt or upset or awkward, feel awkward, and you've been quiet when you should have spoken. Know that there's sin on both sides. The way you listen and the way you speak are both held accountable. So what do you do when you hear gossip? First, you pray. You consider, consider, is this person a believer? Because if they're not a believer, the way you go about it, it's going to be very different. But let's focus on their believers. We're talking about church life. Ask yourself a series of the questions. Is this bad news? Is it behind their back? Do the, does this information you're, they're sharing with you, do they have permission to share with you? Do you have anything to do with this situation? Should you be part of the solution? You may have to ask yourself, is this coming from a bad heart? Which is tricky to know. So you can ask yourself, why are they telling me this? Is it essential for me to know this? Am I part of the solution? Or can you sense that out of their heart, they're sharing this because there's something more more broken behind it. Too, too often people loop us in and we don't need to be in it. Yeah. Instead of talking to the person directly, they're now bringing others. So instead of talking to the person, they just keep endlessly talking to others about it. So if you realize someone is gossiping, at minimum, you do not contribute. Second, also, don't believe it 100%. If they have the heart to gossip about someone, why would you give them the benefit of the doubt that everything they're saying is 100% true? Now, they may not be lying, but they may have a faulty view. They may not have all the facts. They may have the right facts, but maybe they're interpreting the facts wrong. And their interpretation is going to color the way they share it to you. Look at this verse, Proverbs 18:17. One that I wish everybody took seriously on Facebook or Twitter. The one who states his case seems first right. First seems right till the other comes and examines him. I've experienced it too many times, have you not? Where you hear a case about someone, and they're like, Sam, this person, boom, 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 and you're like, whoa, skip the jury, straight to the executioner. This person's the biggest sinner. And I have sometimes ran with that, because I was stupid. Or because what they said matched what I wanted anyway. There was confirmation bias in my heart. But there have been times, have it, has it not been for you, where you slow down and you talk to the person and you hear their side and then you see a fuller picture like, whoa, I didn't get the whole picture. Do some investigating work. If someone's gossiping in front of you, go talk to the person they're gossiping about. Hey, this is what I heard. Go straight to the person. Now, there, there may be some wisdom and context of how you go about that, but I just find this as a helpful Rule of thumb. Amy Carmichael was a missionary in the 18th and 19th century in India, and her mission base had a really helpful um, rule of thumb. Never about, always do. Never about, always do. Can you say that with me? Never, Never about, about, always, always do. do. One more time. Never, Never about, about, always, always do. do. Now again, obviously there are situations where you need to talk about, there's abuse, there's some situation that you need to talk about, but in general, never about always to. You got an issue, don't talk to other people about that issue, talk to the person you got the issue with, or the person you've heard about. 
So helpful. What would our churches look like if we adopted this, this motto? How many misunderstandings and hurts would be avoided if we adopted this as a church? Now, there's more things to do, and I just encourage you to take this book or talk to me further about what to do when you're around gossip, because I realize it can be tricky, and you want to not be self-righteous. One of the, the first book I read after I became a Christian, it's called The Final Frontier, and it's about speech. I don't know why I got it. It was like $2 in a clearance section. And the guy was super self-righteous about it. He said, if anyone gossips around you, say, look to them and say, do my ears look like trash cans? Because <laughs> you're shoving trash down the rain. I can't believe he said that. Even, even as a 15-year-old, I was like, that, that's a little excessive. I don't recommend you do that. You know, be a holier than thou. Hey, gossip! You know, there, there are ways to go about it that's wise and prudent and yet not passive. Mm. But we'll not talk about that today. I also want to encourage you to, maybe God is calling you to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. You hear this and you sense, and something is really unhealthy about that relationship, or something's unhealthy, and maybe you need to go into the line of fire, and you may get shot in the midst of it, trying to bring unity between two people, and you can clearly see there's something broken there. Finally, what if someone is gossiping about you? First of all, remember that the Lord Jesus can sympathize with you, for he is gossiped about all the time. All the time, even now. So you can go to him with your pains. And let, let me be clear. Feeling pain is not immature. It's actually mature if you embracing it in the right way. If someone gossiped about you, that's worthy of tears. It's painful. I, I know what it's like to have my heart ripped apart hearing one of my closest people that I trust and love and invested in saying something about me behind my back. It hurts. You tell the Lord how much that hurts. And you let him tell you, I know what that's like, son. I know what that's like, daughter. Come here. Let me strengthen you. Don't give your hearts into bitterness. Don't let their, your hearts run into bitterness and accusations. Don't do the very thing that's being done to you. Come on. Pray that God will protect your heart from bitterness. Then, from there, bless that person. God, I heard that so-and-so said this about me. I pray blessing upon them. Draw them near. Bless them. Fight the temptation for cursing with blessing. Mm -hmm. Then move towards them. Mm -hmm. I know we're running out of time, but I think this is such a helpful quote from a helpful book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's on the screen. There is something very dark in us that becomes self-righteous when we're anxious or hurt by someone. It plays out most keenly in the story we tell ourselves about a person with whom we are in conflict. By the time we are done with our anger fantasy, the person is subhuman. We have stripped him or her of nuance and dimension and made the person worse than he or she really is. This dynamic also happens in gossip, triangulation and judgment. Triangulation is basically bringing a third person who's not even part of it. And now it's now bringing, now more people are part of the problem even though they were originally part of it. Anyway, the solution to de-escalate anxiety happens to line up with the gospel. Move towards the person. I wonder if this is partly why Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. Jesus commanded it because we don't want to do it. We want to stay removed. Gossip about the person to others. Build a case against her in our own minds. But all that leads to more anxiety. Could it be that Jesus commanded us to love our enemy because he knows that proximity mm. is what helps you see more of someone's humanity and more of her image bearing? If you hear that someone's gossiping about you, 
after you do the necessary hard work, move towards that person. And you may be pleasantly surprised that someone is misrepresenting their words. Or you may be pleasantly surprised that that person never said anything. Or you may discover that they did say those things. And you have an opportunity to show the same grace that God has shown you mm -hmm. time and time again. Conclusion. I never say conclusion. That feels weird. If you're like me, you need to do some repenting. Maybe you need to repent for gossip. Maybe you need to repent because you were passive when gossip was said about you. Maybe you need to go talk to someone that you've been hearing has been gossiping about you, and you need to do it with love and grace. But let me end with this. For all of us gossips or gossipers, do you know who has never gossiped about you? Jesus. Though he has been gossiped about, he has never gossiped about you. And Jesus knows all the juicy details of our life. There could be anybody who could put us on blast and slander us. It would be Jesus. He has the full picture. He knows every detail, and yet he speaks a better word. Let me share a word from Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, our sins condemn us. And when you think about the blood of Abel in Genesis, those words are condemn, condemn, shame, shame, guilty, guilty. Yet Jesus, his blood, because of what he's done, his word is forgiven, accepted, loved, mine. Jesus speaks a better word than your worst enemy or your best friend who betrayed you ever have. And that gives us the grace to love people when they gossip against us. And that gives us the grace to not gossip ourselves. So for the murderers, the perverts, the selfish, and yes, the gossip and the slanderers, praise God that instead of condemnation for our slander and gossip, Jesus speaks a better word for us. So if you are a gossip, you can come to Jesus for forgiveness. And if you've been gossiped about, you can come to Jesus for comfort because he knows exactly what it's like. So church, let us go to war with all of this. And we welcome the, the worship band to come. Wow, band. <laughs> yeah. More than one person. Let us go to war with this all too common sin. Churches are known to be gossip centers. Can it be said that our church is not ever known for that? Mm. Let us resolve to be peacemakers. Let us resolve to always talk to and never about. Let us go to Jesus with our hearts and have him transform them. Let us go to Jesus with our pains and betrayals and have him heal us. Imagine what our church could do like, could be like, if we give our hearts to him and give our tongues to him. Lord, would you do that? Mm -hmm.